This is Marco Reus. This is Shinji Kagawa. This is Nuri Shahin. Hello, this is Jaden Sancho. And you're listening to the Yellow Wall podcast. Hello and welcome to episode 357 of the Yellow Wallpot. I'm your host Stefan Butzko and today we will talk about how two losses against Leverkusen and Gladbach have put Dortmund in peril of reaching their minimum requirement of finishing in the top four. And we will preview Borussia Dortmund's home match against Augsburg and of course we will have a quick peek at the uh, cup match against Paderborn which I think is also a home game. For all that and more join me Matthias Zuck. Hello Matthias, how are you doing? I'm doing okay. Stressful week as always. That's very well. And also joins me last point one. Hello Lars, how are you doing? Hello Stefan. I am as always quite tired, but otherwise in decent spirits. That is very well. And of course, uh I'm very glad to announce that we have a sponsor for this episode. Wir sind komplett schuldenfrei, wir zahlen keinen einzigen Euro an Zinsen. And this episode is sponsored by Jordan Hunt, who uh, says he wants to lift the spirits. Uh, you've done exactly that, Jordan. So thank you very much. Um, and he wants to uh, encourage us to have a discussion about center backs, which uh, I will, uh, you know, instigate toward the end of the show. But uh, in the meantime, Lars, uh, Dortmund did lose 2-1 against Bayer Leverkusen, first DRB, uh, taking advantage of a Birki long kick and then uh, Julian Brandt equalized in the 67th minute and Florian Wirtz then scored the winner in the 80th minute. Um, it was an interesting game. Uh, we predicted there was going to be up and down and pretty open-ended and I think it was a game that uh, either team could have won in the end. However, it was not the black and yellows. Why? A full disclosure, Stefan, when I agreed to come on today, I completely omitted the fact from my brain that we would be talking about the Leverkusen game, which is too far back now for my 31-year-old brain. <laughs> so I'm trying to piece together what I actually remember about this game, and that is a absolutely horrendous Dortmund performance in the first half, or the first 35 or so minutes, which was a big talking point afterwards, uh, going by what both coaches and players and you know sporting directors and whoever said but also a decent uh, decent enough I guess uh, performance in the second half uh, especially after the goal I felt that there was a real momentum shift but as always with momentum shifts uh, they shift <laughs> we were proven we were proven quite quickly that such a thing doesn't exist because obviously Leverkusen kind of scored into what was arguably Dortmund's best spell in the game and I think after the second goal of Leverkusen I don't really remember if there was a big big chance for uh, going level for Dortmund Thomas Delaney had um, a header as far as I recall but otherwise no yeah so if if two of us don't remember and uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure there weren't too many great chances so I think there's no shame in losing two by a Leverkusen uh, this version of Bayer Leverkusen is pretty good. A lot of talent in that team, but certainly the first half performance, especially considering that a few days later they wouldn't be too much better against Gladbach in that regard. Uh, something to have some issues with, which they did. Yeah. Matthias, what does your 42-year-old, 43-year-old brain remember about For Leverkusen? 43. <laughs> Thanks for remembering, Stefan. Uh, I, I always liked Lars more than you. Um, the, <laughs> uh, I mean, Lass is right in saying there's no shame in losing to Leverkusen. Uh, there is a shame in losing like that to Leverkusen. Uh, you know, Dortmund having that good spell and, and actually it looked like the momentum was shifting and Dortmund would come away maybe with the win, you know, definitely not a loss. And then you have that, uh, counterattack that just was bad, 
bad positioning and, you know, Vitz had a, a good goal from distance. Uh, interesting was also that the majority of shots that Leverkusen had were from distance. Um, you know, it does show a little bit. Dortmund sat a little bit deeper. Or they were a little bit more compact. They were also pushed that way. Uh, what I looking back at the stats, what surprised me actually was over the full 90 minutes that Dortmund had more possession. That was that was not a statistic I would have expected. Uh, overall, Leverkusen deserved the victory. Um, Dortmund once again horrendous in conversion. Uh, yes, Leverkusen outshot them, but. You know, it's not like Dortmund didn't have shots. It's not like Dortmund didn't have opportunities. They just didn't utilize them at all. Um, Julian Brandt, I can remember very distinctly, even though he got the goal. He also had a chance very shortly after there to give Dortmund the lead, uh, where that was kind of the miraculous off-the-line clearance. And... um, you know, I mean, I, I tweeted about it a few times during the match, and I kind of talked about it in the previous Yellow Wall episode, and I'll say it again. I'm I'm very concerned about uh, Rafael Guerrero in a defensive sense as a left back, because I'm seeing a disturbing trend of him not really working hard. Uh, in a defensive sense, you know, he'll go up the pitch, which is fine. Attacking fullbacks are a norm. He'll play a bad pass or lose possession, and then he'll just hang out up there. And then the tra- the other team is transitioning, and Dortmund are just, you know, basically all over the place because they have gaps to fill. Everyone shifts one way. Someone's going to be left unmarked. And I said it before, I'll say it again. If you're going to be a defender who pushes that high up, uh, especially knowing that the width is predominantly coming from the fullbacks with Dortmund, so there's not a lot of wide cover. Um, if you're going to go that far up, you better run back and defend and not either not go back at all or kind of jog back. Um, and positionally, he was all over the place, and and it didn't get better in the next match, and it wasn't good before that. So that's really an area that that I have some concerns with that if you would have asked me a month or two ago I wouldn't have even really brought up to be honest well I totally agree uh I think we've all seen that um and I think maybe a symptom of tiredness um what's annoying me more about the situation and Lars I don't I I really want to hear your thoughts um is that you know we do have a left back sitting on the bench that was uh you know that did cost about 20 million plus um and he is not being really utilized and so the left back that we currently have is uh, probably one of the key players of the season obviously but uh, also getting fatigued and hardly any rest so in in that context um how, how poor of a decision was it to buy Nico Schulz maybe and uh, what do you make of uh, Guerrero's defensive lapses which he obviously is not the only one in the team who is this happening to <laughs> Mats Hummels. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I really would like to know what, what you think about this whole uh, malaise. I mean, we don't have enough time to fill a full show with how bad Nico Schulz or the transfer was. But I mean, I think we've covered that extensively in other shows. So people can just listen to the back catalog of all of us whining <laughs> about them wasting 25 million Oh, was it twenty five? I, I I was I didn't have the confidence to say it was twenty four million plus or so. So, but yeah, I ugh. mean, put, potato potato, it's uh, about twenty more than I would have paid for Nico Schulz. So, uh, having said that, I actually agree with Terzic not to play him. I think that would be a sort of a sunk cost fallacy to actually play Nico Schulz at this point. Um, I, I could see the argument made for uh, Felix Paslak, but he's completely faced out under Terzic. Could actually also see uh, a version with uh, Matteo Morel playing on the left side, which he can do, has done in some preseason games under Favre. So uh, I think that would be an option. And honestly, I, it, when I was thinking about, because you always ask what we would do about the lineup and whatever, I think it would be a good idea perhaps to free Guerrero from 
some defensive responsibilities while also uh, adding to the attacking output if he was just playing one position further ahead. Uh, because obviously you want his creativity on the pitch, you want his uh, nows for uh, playing the final ball or the penultimate ball into the box. So you can't really say Guerrero needs or should should be rested completely. Dortmund can't afford that really. Uh, at least not from the get-go. Maybe you can take him off in some games. Um, but it would probably be best for him if he could play either as a left-sided eight or just as a left winger. And especially given the lack of winger depth in Dortmund's squad and, you know, uh, Julian Brandt and Gio Reyna both being more central players, being made to play out wide and not the other way around. I think it would make sense for Guerrero to get a run as the left winger, actually, these days. But certainly some of the issues defensively are directly tied to him. But I think uh, when we start pointing fingers uh, as to who is at fault for all these Dortmund issues and, and goals conceded, I think you could start with Roman Bürki, go over Mats Hummels, uh, go to Guerrero, go to Akanji. I mean, we, we wouldn't be able to stop. So I think whenever that is the case, it's probably not 15, 20 decently talented players making all wrong decisions and being bad in the moment. It's probably more of a systemic issue. Yeah, no, I mean, uh, I it, it, it does have tactical issues and it's quite interesting that both Leverkusen and Gladbach um, really tried to uh, force Berkey to punt the ball and uh, I think Leverkusen especially with their goal in the 14th minute really accidentally capitalized because Dortmund when they when Berkey has the ball and everything is static um, their uh, center backs do push out wide and the fullbacks are up even a bit higher and then if you have a quick counter attack then uh, everyone is uh, obviously uh, very far away from from potential strikers, and uh, the ball over the top is then easier to to achieve. And uh, I think uh, Gladbach tried to do similar things. So, um, but at the same time, if we look at that um, uh, goal, that the the Leverkusen goal, the first one, uh, it 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 would help if the uh, header. Or, or the the rebound of Berkey shot would by a Leverkusen player would at least be contested by a Dortmund player. I think this time it was Jaden Sancho who was more or less just you know standing there. Uh, we've just uh, talked about the NBA <laughs> pre part and uh, you know there's there's a way to defend in the NBA in the playoff season and you know there are ways where a bit more bodyless in the beginning of, of a season and that's how, how I was reminded basically um, that's just not good enough and um, yeah a, a, a bit vexing um, overall I think what's pretty vexing about the entire English Woche if we will I mean the uh, the, the point against Mainz is obviously uh, you know not good enough and obviously a game Dortmund arguably could have should have won and the other problem is Dortmund did have good spells against both Leverkusen and Gladbach and uh, they easily could have, well not easily, but they could have come out as winners and then the entire thing would have looked quite differently. I mean, uh, we don't even have to talk about Bayern Munich anymore. I think now they're down like 13 points or so and uh, I think they're closer points-wise to Bielefeld right now than to Bayern Munich. Um, it's... It, it's just a gruesome week for Dortmund and especially against your direct opponents tools like that uh, is never great. So Matthias, um, if we think about the Leverkusen game and the Gladbach game, um, usually Dortmund, you know, lose against Mainz or draw against Mainz and then you say, ah, oh, well, you know, bottom of the league, but at least they do well against teams from the uh, higher ranks of the league. And I mean, that was correct. If you look at the Wolfsburg and the Leverkusen match, but uh, the last two ones, uh, I think, had a lot of people really frustrated uh, for various reasons. Um, I think when we look at the Gladbach game, especially um, conceding three set pieces uh, or three set piece goals uh, is is just super annoying. Um, but what do you make of this game, considering that Dortmund uh, did... Uh, rally back from a 1-0 deficit and uh, one would uh, could, could have thought for a minute oh well they actually are turning this around and they're playing well and maybe uh, 
come away as winners, but uh, I think it just took four minutes for Gladbach to equalize with yet another set piece. So um, I don't want to dwell too long on the Leverkusen game. So what do you make of this Gladbach game and how do Dortmund come back from that? Yeah, so um, it's a tough one because if you look purely at the statistics of the match, if we just look at the very cold, new, not even nuanced statistics of the match, Dortmund should have won. They were the dominant force in pretty much every single statistical category from tackles won, passes played, pass percentage, shots, et cetera, et cetera. The, the difference uh, is, as you had mentioned, obviously set pieces um, and uh, the conversion rate and shots on target percentage versus total shots. Um, Dalton, again, didn't have a single shot within uh, the six-yard box, so that meant they were a little further out, but they didn't, they didn't rely on long shots. Um over long spells, um, Dortmund looked the better side, looked more dominant, um, looked like, okay, you know, after after turning the match, it, it looked like Dortmund were going to possibly roll over Gladbach at that point because they had so much going their way. And then, yeah, and then the rest of the match happened. And it it it's frustrating. You said before we'd record, you said, you know, when you watch the Packers lose, it kind of reminded you of the fact that in the NFL or in American football, everything's a set piece. It's a set play. That's true. Whereas obviously in football, soccer, whatever you want to call it, it's a very fluid game aside from set pieces. So in a fluid game, certain situations you can't really practice for to counteract certain things like you can in American football. Having played and coached it, you can definitely see tendencies and set up your defense in a way to set it, to stop it. The only thing in the Bundesliga you can do that with, or in soccer football, is obviously in set pieces. And the fact that Dortmund are the second worst team when it comes to conceding from set pieces, only outdone by Schalke, and, on, and, and uh, not by much. And uh, the other teams in there with them are Hatta and Mainz. So three relegation candidates. That's just not good enough. And what makes it even worse is Marco Rosa saying, it's great to score three set-piece goals. We don't even practice set-pieces. Uh, you know, that <laughs> when, when I heard that, I'm like, okay, fine, whatever. You know, if that's something you actually want to brag about, it's a little weird. Uh, to me, uh, well, you 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 came out on Twitter and yeah. said, "Oh, he's the perfect coach yes. for Dortmund," and yeah. I harshly, vehemently disagreed <laughs> that Dortmund are you know we talk about natural born sad pieces as I like to call them uh, because this team needs to only train them it feels almost because nothing else apparently helps them to 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 defeat their uh, set piece disease, which is weird because I mean there was a period where it was, you know, biting them in the butt every other week and then they stopped it and now it's here again and I don't know why. I mean, I mean it's not like I, it... I sat down with, with my with my laptop and, and reviewed every set yeah. piece and, and took a deep dive, uh, but uh, it, 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 it does feel kind of annoying that all of a sudden you have, I think, Emre Can or someone uh, like trying to cover three other other guys and like Elvedi who's maybe not the set-piece monster, then scores two on you, which is just super annoying, but uh, continue. Well, Nico Elvidi, I don't even think is that tall. He's not even that strong for a central defender. So yeah, I mean, it's it's frustrating because it's very clear. I mean, it was said after the match, you know, you can point to Gladbach, Köln, and uh, Union Berlin as three matches Dortmund lost because of set-pieces. Now, it's not only set-pieces, but that's the most direct result you can look at. Obviously, you have to look at what led to the set pieces. What is that situation? But at the end of the day, there are two things that that clearly play into this as far as set pieces go. And FC Bayern aren't that great at defending set pieces this season either. Uh, they've conceded six as well, this or six this season, which puts them also in the sixth or seventh worst in the league. But, you know, they score 53 other goals to kind of make up for those six. Um, the, it's concentration and focus. That's, that's a huge part of it. 
You know, uh, I can still see Gio Reyna just letting a guy run past him. And that's that's concentration and focus or not marking the right guy or, you know, that that's stuff you can't let happen. And the other thing is, is just coaching the situation. I don't know. Did did whoever was able to shut down the set piece problem that was there what a season, two seasons ago? That was very clear who was able to coach and shut it down. Did that person leave with Favre? I mean, is that that part of it? Um, because it's just so in your face, obvious. And it's, I mean, no, I'm not a certified UEFA A license coach or anything like that, but you would think that set pieces is something that you can kind of focus on and take care of relatively easily, given that teams that are lower down are able to do it sometimes. Well, my uh, super license uh, coach big brain theory is that it's just so windy at Brakel that the balls fly in a different way and uh, when you play at a different stadium uh, then you just uh, calculate the path and the flight of the ball entirely different than uh, at the training ground in Brakel so um, that's that's the the only uh, rational thing I've come up with uh, but in all honesty uh, Lars do you have a better explanation than mine? I mean, having been to Brakel, I can at least confirm that it's very windy there. I wanted to say another word. Um, I mean, Michel Zorc has been asked this question and Edin Terzic has been asked this question and the only thing they can come up with is concentration. I mean, Michel Zorc basically gave the exact same answer the last two times I read or heard him be asked about set pieces and that is it's not about size or height or physicality we are uh, well equipped in that regard and I mean they obviously are they have enough players with uh, the requisite physique to handle a ball whipped in from the side of the pitch so it must be down to concentration but I mean I would certainly agree with you guys that one would think that's a problem that can be bettered by working on the training ground and uh, certainly Terzic has had more weeks to actually uh, actually prepare for games and have honest got training sessions than Favre had in his last three months or so at the club because he had to contend with all these Champions League games and international breaks so uh, it certainly doesn't reflect well on a very young inexperienced at the pro level head, uh, coaching staff uh, that this is a problem that has gotten infinitely worse the more time they've spent with the team. I mean, uh, the Union game was in the first week after Favre was sacked, and now it's been a little over a month, and it's arguably gotten worse and not better. So, Lars, uh, that obviously leads me to my next question now that uh, Dortmund have slipped down to seventh place in the Bundesliga, and uh, as I said in the intro, the uh, minimum requirement or target for them uh, reaching a top-four finish uh, is very much in peril. Do you think, in hindsight, already, uh, you know, it's maybe it's still too soon to say. Who knows? But do you think, as of now, with uh, Edin Tessic having, uh, I've I've been told, a worse uh, points average than Thomas Doll, do you think it was uh, the wrong call to sack Favre? Uh, no. The question is, uh, was it the right call to install Tessic as the main man with Otto and? Sebastian Gebhardt is his assistant. Uh, I think there's a... The, the logical theory to me is that they wanted someone to take over only until the summer uh, while they were going to work on getting presumably Marco Rosa on board for the summer and wanted, you know, the prolonged caretaker situation. Uh, in that sense, it made more sense to go with Terzic, who presumably could go back into second fiddle roles. Uh, after the end of the season. But obviously, knowing what we know now, and, and I mean, we haven't even talked about, you know, the completely ridiculous lack of substitutions that he sudden, uh, that, that, that he seems to be uh, completely oblivious of the fact that they can make five a game because they only make like one in the first 78 minutes or so per game. And and there are a number of players who haven't even played a single game under or, or tops five minutes under Terzic. And, you know, the the schedule is not going to get easier going forward. So I would like very much to for, for someone to remind him that you can actually make five subs in Germany this season. Okay, so Lars, before uh, you continue, uh, 
Be, let's let's stay on the substitution thing real quick because um, you, you've talked about a number of substitutions and I think that was one of my main gripes with Luthien Favre that he uh, uh, his substitutions were sometimes too late and too little. Uh, this has arguably gotten worse, but also the substitutions that Tessic is making right now, for example, we saw, I think, twice uh, the substitution of Bellingham uh, out in Mokoko Inn. Um, we had Jonathan Harding on here and he you know, quite clearly said and correctly said, in my opinion, that, uh, you know, if if you can't get anything going, taking out another midfielder and one of your better ones that actually makes, uh, you know, con constructs a couple of connections and link up play, uh, maybe not the best call. Um, that's what's, uh, you know, just, uh, just from the uh, tactical standpoint of the substitution that Tessic is making, the few, uh, what have you made of of them because I've been rather critical so far. Yeah, I mean, uh, to me, this is once again an indication of an inexperienced head coach who's probably gotten too big a job way, way too soon in his career. I mean, uh, as, as John said, you know, you can't take out someone who actually makes things happen and is arguably your most complete midfielder at this point of the season, which is a problem in and of itself because he's 17, but here we are. And, and just stick on another striker or attacking player uh, and, and assume that things are going to get better and you will be more dangerous. I mean, the, the, the actual worst part, in my opinion, is actually that most of these games, he's also brought on Stefan Tigges for the last five or ten minutes to only then uh, hoof long balls forward, which... Uh, Mukoko, that's arguably the, the biggest weakness of his uh, game. Uh, I mean, obviously he's 16 and has a lot of weaknesses at the pro level, but in theory, if you have Mukoko uh, and Erling Haaland on the pitch, you want to release your strikers. You don't want to just play long ball after long ball for uh, Steffen freaking Tigges, who's been a Regionalliga player up until uh, five weeks ago, uh, to make things happen for you. So, uh, on top of, you know, not using players like Mahmoud Dahoud, which there's now been a report from Ruhnachrichten that there was a disciplinary problem and that that seems to be resolved, but I'm sure there's some residual effect of that. Uh, on top of not using everyone at your arsenal when things clearly aren't working to again and again try the same things that aren't working as well. Uh, again, that's not a good sign. And I think uh, I think it was Luca who who actually tweeted and it made perfect sense uh, that Lucien Favre always brought on uh, centre backs when he wanted to defend the lead, even though that never worked. And now Terzic apparently wants to only to bring on strikers when chasing lead, and that also doesn't work. Yeah, no, that sums it up quite well. Um, I mean, against um, both Leverkusen and Gladbach, I think he brought on Mokoko and uh, Tigges in the last ten minutes or so. Um, and I think uh, in the in the Gladbach game he also brought on Giorena for for Reus, so it's at least good to see that um, Giorena is back. Uh, Dortmund still desperately, I would say, waiting for Torgen Hazard to recover from his injury. I think there was an update today at the press conference, but the problem is I kind of dozed off, um, so I'm not entirely sure what uh, what was said. <laughs> uh, but apparently he's uh, returning soonish. Um, but uh, yeah. If, if I rec recall correctly, Thomas Meunier is now out uh, for a longer period. I don't know how long, a couple of weeks or so with a knee injury, right? So um, that's a bit of a headache. And that means uh, Mathieu Moret will probably slot in against Augsburg and uh, the Paderborn match. And of course, um, the other problem is, as we've said before, is fatigue. Uh, we only have uh, two healthy centre-backs right now with Akanji and Hummels and Hummels, um, his form has been absolutely dire, and I think that has uh, contributed to the losses in a, in a very impactful way. I mean, against Gladbach, I think, I don't know if it was the first or the second one, uh, but uh, he sort of uh, played a misplaced pass and then, uh, you know, committed the foul, which led to the set piece, which led to the goal. Um, obviously, uh, I do like to mention that Emre Can and Marco Reus should be experienced enough to not let the ball slip directly between them if they build the quote-unquote wall. And then obviously uh, Roma Bürke can probably still deal better with it and uh, gets a little flag for it. But uh, nevertheless, uh, something that annoyed me to no end. But um, 
Back to my original point, uh, with Zagadou being out for a couple more weeks, this is obviously a problem. And uh, Mats Hummels, I think, has uh, said quite often enough that, uh, you know, the players overall are fatigued. And I think he uh, would very much include himself in there because, let's face it, he was one of the better players this season up until uh, his form tragically dipped. And uh, in, in, in this current uh, level, you... You, you see a Mats Hummels whose decision-making is just a little slower than it usually is and he still tries to anticipate um, passes and uh, storms out of defense, leaves his back line exposed, but then uh, is just sort of stranded and leaves other players open against Leverkusen. I think he he did it once so brilliantly that uh, Florian Witz was completely open. Uh, I mean, for, for the extra counter-attack, there are also numerous mistakes we can talk about. Um, but uh, yeah, it's it's a problem when uh, your uh, center back or the the leader of your backline, if you will, uh, makes such silly errors that everyone is then just scrambling, and you just have to hope that uh, your opponent is bad at finishing above everything else. It's also not ideal when your goalkeeper is sort of super glued on the touchline and just can't rush out a goal like uh, a modern goalkeeper would. But uh, you know the, uh, the the list of of things to rant about is is uh, steadily extending, I feel. Um, so, Matthias, when we look ahead now to the Augsburg game, um, that is obviously a match where Dortmund lost the reverse fixture. That was the first loss of the season, and by now Dortmund have accumulated six, which is just as many losses as they had all last season. Now, um, Augsburg are obviously a team that Dortmund can struggle against mightily. Um, last time, as I said, they lost, but... Um, in the last away match to Augsburg, I think it was Erling Haaland who came on and sort of turned it around. But um, yeah, it's it's going to be a tricky game. Is it a trap game for Dortmund or do these things not exist given uh, that Dortmund are only 7th in the Bundesliga right now and not really uh, flying high as is? Yeah, I think that's more the case. I mean, it's, it's a trap game if you think you're going to be dominant and win and no problems and then you play Hamburg um but uh <laughs> you know that that's not the case here you're playing off our trap games <laughs> you're, you're playing against Daniel Caligiuri so um uh, so yeah there's that I it's not a trap game in 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 that sense I mean it's clearly a game that you know Augsburg are to dip they've lost four of their last six matches um uh, and I think they're in 12th place right now, aren't they? Yes. I don't have it right in front of me, but yeah. So I mean, they're they're weaker now. They started the season extremely well, and they've really flattened off a little bit. Uh, you know, I mean, before beating Dortmund back then, they beat Union Berlin, and the last match, uh, Augsburg beat Union Berlin. So there's a little bit of a trend there that I don't like, and I'll be honest. Uh, the fullback situation, and I'm not on top of it right now as to who is missing for Augsburg, to be perfectly honest. I've been so focused on the Dortmund issues that I haven't looked if Vargas is around and so on. Um, I don't think Dortmund can win this match, no matter what. Uh, because if I'm, if I am Augsburg and I'm looking at the last few matches, and I go, let's see, we've got Matteo Moré on one side, who's, yeah. Then you've got Guerrero on the other side, who's tired and who won't track back. He'll be out of position. Then you've got uh, Hummels, who then feels like he has to make up for a lot of things and gets caught out of position. And you have Akanji trying to do anything to make up for that, and then a Delaney or a Chan running back. And Buki, who is bereft of confidence after the last three matches... Yeah, I I'll be honest, I don't think it's a trap game. I think this is going to be a match that Augsburg win and I don't think uh I think uh, you know, it's going to be the typical Dortmund have a lot of possession. Um they're going to be static. Augsburg are going to sit deep. They're going to have some set pieces. They're going to score from them. Uh Mukoko is going to come on for Bellingham, then nothing happens cuz Tezic isn't a good a good manager all of a sudden anymore. Um, you know, he thinks he's playing FIFA. So I, I'll be honest, I have zero confidence. The trap here, here's the thing. If it's a trap game for any one of these teams, it's an Augsburg trap game. 
because they may be too confident going against this because everything that's going wrong for Dortmund is playing exactly, directly into the strengths of Augsburg. The funny thing is, when we talk about set pieces, Augsburg are the worst this season with scoring from set pieces. They've only scored from one set piece, uh, Stefan. And do you know against whom that was? Was it Dortmund? Yes, it was Daniel Caligiuri against Dortmund. So I'm sorry. I'm, I don't, I'm trying to remember how often over the last eight years of doing, almost nine years of doing this show that I've picked against Dortmund. And I, I could probably count it on one hand because I'm the eternal optimist. I don't think Dortmund have a chance to win this match if I'm perfectly honest. Uh, but that makes me way more optimistic now, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> okay, fine. It's a, if any, it's a trap game for Augsburg. Uh, Dortmund win it 2-1, and Daniel Caligiuri, uh scores a set piece. But in all seriousness now, I this is going to be a very, very difficult game for Dortmund, and I have massive concerns. Well, out for Wolfsburg are Framberger and Muravec, uh so, at least according to Kicker, what I think is often a good bellwether, um, if the schedule sort of allows it, is uh, to see how a team has performed uh, against Bayern in previous matches. I think that was a, a good indication for the Mainz game, maybe, um, where Mainz uh, were, I think, 2-0 up against Bayern and uh, rather well, but then sort of lost. And uh, Bayern recently also did play against Augsburg. I think it was uh, the Wednesday game, if I'm not mistaken. Um Maybe I am. I don't. I don't. I don't remember. But uh, what was interesting is that Augsburg were, I think, one uh, missed penalty away from uh, at least coming away with a draw. And in the first half, it was pretty much all Bayern having shots on goal. And in the second half, it was pretty much just uh, Augsburg having scoring output. So you can see that Bayern are very frail and uh, fatigued almost, and were uh, sort of. I don't want to say overpowered by Augsburg, but pretty much that's sort of what happened. Uh, I, I I didn't see the first half, but I saw parts of the second half, and uh, I I was rather concerned for Dortmund, seeing how well Augsburg uh, did and how Bayern allowed them sort of to play the ball around. And this is obviously something that Dortmund uh, can do as well, especially considering that at the Westfalenstadion in the season, Dortmund uh, have not. Uh, found the home strength that they uh, usually do have without any fans. So, Lars, uh, what do you expect from this game and which problems do you hope Dortmund can solve against this Augsburg team, which they did already lose against once? Well, uh, what you don't know, Stefan, is that this is actually a freaky Friday situation and uh, Matthias and I have switched bodies <laughs> because I'm actually quite optimistic about this game for once. Uh, I hold out hope, perhaps against my better judgment, that these players uh, and everyone around the team has finally now understood uh, sure. you know, where they went wrong so much over the last few games only. Um, and... I mean, we've talked about it in a very and obviously uh, warranted negative light, but you could also say that for large chunks of certainly the Gladbach game and I would say also the second half against Leverkusen, they were quite good against very good opposition. So it's not like they are in complete dire straits. This isn't a 2014, they might get relegated situation. Uh, and, you know, third place is three points away. So... While I usually appreciate uh, every bit of doom and gloom on this podcast and most often am personally responsible for it, uh, this time around I just kind of have a hunch that it's not going to be as bad as Matthias pointed it out to be. Uh, still though, I mean, games against Augsburg usually aren't, aren't fun uh, for Dortmund. I mean, I think they've thrashed them a couple of times here and there, but at least in my memory, more often than not, those were kind of more like dogfight games where, you know, there's a lot of uh, many fouls by Augsburg, many discussions with the referee, you know, not a lot of flow to the game. The obligatory, now that Kalijuri plays their set-piece goal for Augsburg against Dortmund, which we've talked about. So, uh, I mean, I'm not necessarily going to expect like a... 4-0, everything's great about Dortmund again kind of game. But 
I also don't see how they have, and I'm quoting here, <laughs> no chance of winning against Augsburg at home because even if Dortmund have a lot of issues, uh, we are still talking about FC Augsburg who just don't have that great of talent in you know a lot of these positions. Yeah, so I'm. I don't want. I don't even know if I want to say more with you, Lars. But it was sort of the point I was gonna uh, make after Matthias said that Dortmund uh, have little to no chances because uh, exactly that. Um, I think if we look at the game against Mainz, Dortmund uh, were uh, very unfortunate to not win this one uh, and only have their poor finishing to blame. And uh, I mean, in in terms of how you want Dortmund to approach a home game against. Uh, team from the from the bottom half of the table this is actually it you know they were aggressive from the get-go i mean yes they they lost their uh uh their way a little bit in the second half but nevertheless uh, if dortmund managed the same thing against augsburg and are a bit more clinical in front of goal this game can be out of reach and then it can turn into shellacking who knows um and uh yeah the the other positives you can take away from the games against uh leverkusen and gladbach all be it they were lost, is that Dortmund really did have good spells and uh, when they had good spells they were overly uh, dominant and created uh, good chances. I mean, we haven't really talked about the two goals that Dortmund uh, scored against um, against Gladbach uh, by Haaland, but I, I thought they were all very well crafted and obviously uh, against Leverkusen I think Dortmund even uh, won the quote-unquote expected goals uh battle and uh, obviously Julian Brandt maybe needs to just hit it toward the goal and not try to square it and then hit Tapsoba or whatever his name is um, but uh, I digress I I do think uh, Dortmund can obviously turn it around on a whim and uh, they had a whole week now to rest which I think helps especially um, you know after playing Tuesday and Friday at, at least they, they had one more day of rest and this team, I think, uh, was in dire need of that. Um, now, I don't know if it's just a media thing or whether there's actually something to it. Uh, but Lars, I think, if I recall correctly, there there's a chance that Marvin Hitz may start the game against Augsburg. If that is the case, do you think that's a wise move to make? I mean, Roma Burki has uh, caught a lot of criticism in recent weeks. However... Uh, if I recall correctly, you were rather um, miffed by Lucien Favre. I think you said unnecessarily opening a goalkeeping discussion at the start of the season. So this would sort of uh, continue that, wouldn't it? Uh, no, because at the time it was unnecessary to make a switch and not give any kind of explanation. And it's been... Uh, with good sources too been reported that, you know, there were also no real explanations towards both men and the team. So uh, now that Roman Burki has played like absolute dog poop for <laughs> at least a month. And, you know, we know without confidence, Roman Burki with all his issues and qualities, uh, the issues are confounded and the qualities are a bit dimmed by lack of confidence i think at the moment you have every right as a head coach trying to turn things around to uh, think of switching to who is arguably or i would say inarguably the best number two goalkeeper in the bundesliga uh if if this was you know who should be number one going forward i think you could still make an argument that roman burki just has more potential also with the ball at his feet but then again also <laughs> in that regard he's made so many mistakes that it might be better to uh, appreciate a more solid stable goalkeeper in marvin hits and just tell him to hoof it not to the other guys uh, whereas roman burki uh, tries to play it to his own players and sometimes it doesn't come off and leads to goals. So I think uh, for this Augsburg game, I certainly personally would very much prefer hits. I would probably just play him till the end of the season and get a new number one goalkeeper in the summer. I don't think that's necessarily likely uh, given that they extended uh, Berkey's contract in June, was it? So uh, some some point late in last season. Uh, but yeah, uh, he's certainly not been 
been a help. He's been more part of the problem than part of the solution, in my opinion. All right. So, Matthias, now that you've been so pessimistic, uh, I, I think uh, I'm I'm glad I can throw this question or or, or maybe maybe more uh, an initiative to talk about it uh, at you is that I personally observed that uh, Julian Brandt has a bit of an upswing in form. And uh, since this is the Julian Brandt hive, uh, led by Lars Polman, uh, obviously uh, this one goes out to you, Matthias. Uh, what makes you hopeful that his upswing in form, he even found the goal, the net in Leverkusen? Arguably, okay, maybe because it was his old stadium and he still knows where the goals stand there. But uh, what makes you hopeful that this continues and carries over to the Augsburg and maybe even Paderborn game? I mean, I'm just glad to see that all it needs for positivity and optimism from Lars is some negativity and pessimism from me. Um, but, uh, you know, Julian Brandt has been, not just Julian Brandt, also Jaden Sancho. We can't forget he did assist both Holland goals against Gladbach. Um, they've had a very good uptick in form. And that's something that Dortmund definitely needs because you need that creativity. You need that spark. You need that movement. And that's definitely been there um, for the last couple of matches. Ironically, not the matches where Dortmund won, but in the ones where they've lost. So, you know, silver linings being what they are, it's the right uptick in form for the right player against the right opposition that's coming up. You know, you're going to expect... You know, deeper sitting, parking the bus, all that kind of stuff. Because when the first time Dalton played against Augsburg, the clear issue was there was no movement. The positional play was was non-existent. Uh, players kept on moving into cover shadows and not moving out of them. And, you know, Brandt's creativity was missing for the longest time because he was lacking confidence. Now that the confidence is back, I think the timing is actually good to play against some of these sides to see if he can really help unlock them. I mean, part of the problem will then also be the movement ahead of him. We know Holland's going to give you that movement, um, but it has to come from multiple sources. And, I mean, could this be a match where you don't play Marco Royce and instead you you put um, Julian Brandt in that more 10 central position and have Gio Reyna coming off the wing? Maybe. Uh, even though I do have my issues with uh, Giovanni Reyna, um, I think, you know, Brandt could maybe even benefit from that, uh, even though I feel like you would miss uh, Royce's pressing, which is good. Um, but Brandt being there and playing creatively is definitely needed against these types of opponents who will make it very hard for Dortmund. So, no, overall, definitely good timing for that. If he were still in that deep uh, form, you know, my my pessimism may have been even worse. All right. I think it's time uh, for you to predict the scoreline then. Very intrigued now. How are you going <laughs> to go against Dortmund? <laughs> you know, I mean, yes, I was pessimistic. Mm -hmm. I was talking mm -hmm. myself a little bit also into a rant uh, just because it's frustrating. And I can see Dortmund's weaknesses. And when you match that against the strengths of Augsburg, it just does, it's not a good matchup for Dortmund right now. Um, I do agree with you that if Dortmund get a couple of early goals, then Augsburg will fall to pieces. That's just the way it's going to be. I just don't necessarily have the confidence that that's going to happen. Yeah, if you so, explain that, just give the scoreline. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, it is a home match, but without fans. I Oh, God, it's so hard. Um, but I'm going to stick to my pessimism. I'm going to say Augsburg are going to win this one 2-1. to one. All right. I'm saying Dortmund are going to win this 3-1. Uh, to one. Lars, what's yours? Same. All right. So uh, with that, I think we can move over uh, to the cup match, which I think happens on the Tuesday after. And uh, there's not too many things I can say about Paderborn because uh, I do not watch the second Bundesliga. But uh, I can say that uh, right now their top scorer is Chris Führig, who I think is uh, a Dortmund player. He is loaned out from Borussia Dortmund 2 
to Paderborn and uh, he is uh, number 27. It's the tall blonde guy. I think he's uh, playing on the right wing usually for them. So um, it's nice to see that he is uh, doing better, I guess. Um, I don't know if, if it's going to be good enough to ever see him uh, for the seniors, but nevertheless, I mean, he's 23 years old and he's born in Kastrup-Rauxel, which is not very far away from Dortmund, obviously. Um, someone just told me that Kastrup-Rauxel is the Latin word for Bergkamp, but I'm not entirely sure if that's correct. So, Lars, <laughs> all kidding aside, um, I think Dortmund once pounced Paderborn in the Cup 7-1 to and Stefan Effenberg was the coach and maybe even uh, Mario Götze scored a nice free kick in that one. Uh, but uh, it's it's a very long time ago and I don't ent entirely recall. Um, might have been a nice free kick that Götze scored in a cup match against Hanover. That one I definitely recall because he scored it underneath the wall with a flat, flat shot that was really nice. But uh, I digress. So um, obviously with Bayern Munich out of the cup, every Dortmund fan uh, will now hope that maybe this is the consolation trophy that Dortmund can win at the end of the season is Paderborn in the way they play a threat to Dortmund obviously I'm so well prepared that I don't know who Paderborn actually got rid of in the German Cup thus far um, but maybe you can help out there I can't but I do remember something for once and that is Roman Bürki trying to dribble in his own box uh, typical goalkeeper panache uh, getting the ball taken away from his feet and Paderborn actually went in front, I think, in that 1-7 uh, game under Stefan Effenberg. Uh, as for the current season, yeah, you mentioned the danger man in Chris Führig. He actually scored against... Uh, I watched the game and I forgot. I think it was Kiel uh, on uh, Wednesday night. Um, I mean, Paderborn... Still coached by Steffen Baumgart. Obviously, they were only relegated uh, last season in the Bundesliga. Dortmund had a 3-3 in November at home where Marco Reus uh, rescued them at the death. The Julian Weigel game, from, as I like to call it. Yeah, I, I didn't watch that game live. Uh, I had to watch a rerun the next day with a terrible wine hangover, which is not recommended. <laughs> Um, <laughs> and in Paderborn, they, th that was the game where uh, Sancho et al. Uh, honored uh, George Floyd with their celebration. So that that's certainly a memory to to have in mind. Uh, the game itself, I think, not, not, was not like a forget. six nil. And was, yeah. <laughs> I was about to say you need to to get your trigger finger ready um, for for that one. Yeah, I mean. It's a, a second division side, not near the top of the table in the second division. So, I mean, there are absolutely zero excuses to not win a home cup game against a side like that. I think Dortmund have been decent in avoiding the pitfalls of the cup uh, for the last decade or so. I think the last time they went out against a lower ranked side was early in the club tenure against was it Offenbach yes. I, I, I seem to remember that was the last time so yeah. since then it's been on, and Barrios I think too in the shootout if I yeah I, I think since then it's only been Bayern uh, and now twice Bremen to actually beat Dortmund either before or in the final so I mean do we really need to talk about what Paderborn play like and whatever I no. think in the cup at home, Dortmund, there's no excuse if you go out. Uh, I mean, heads should roll. All right. Uh, Matthias, your prediction, will heads roll? Or, or do you want to say anything about Paderborn? Because I still have that question from Jordan Hunt I want to throw at you. Uh, I mean, Paderborn, um, nice town, you know. I mean, it's Ostwestfalen, eh, eh, eh. so it's like, meh, it's all right. You know, it's a nice university town. It's not Münster, okay? No, it so. is not Münster. And if, but it has a nice little. And if anybody compares Paderborn to Münster, you're dead to me. Um, <laughs> heads will roll. <laughs> heads, heads won't roll. They'll be on spikes <laughs> on the top no, of actually, the Lamberti Kirche. Yeah, I was just gonna say you're not yeah. gonna you're not gonna put, have your head put, on a spike. You'll be put in a cage, cage. and then that's just right. Start. That's right. So you go to the Wiedertäuferkäfig. Um, 
<laughs> anyway, I think Dolphins going to win this one 4-0. Um, I think this is uh, a match that, uh, you know, would will be, I mean, not easy, but easy enough. Uh, I do hope there's a little bit of rotation. Please give some of these guys a little bit of a breather. Obviously, um, that'll also depend on on fitness and so on. But uh, yeah, I, I think Dortmund will win this one. I, I'd actually, this is the kind of match where I'd want to see Mukoko start as a striker. And then if things aren't going, then you bring in Haaland for Mukoko, not Bellingham. Okay. <laughs> would be funny though <laughs> um uh yeah why why not i mean uh we can obviously talk about uh rotation and whatnot but uh um yeah fun is a good prediction last did i ask you i already forgot i i don't think i did so go ahead uh because i think they are going to rotate but at the same time be a bit more economical about their approach uh i don't really think dortmund like absolutely thwack second division sides in the cup uh, over the last few years since that Paderborn game I'm going with a more modest 2-0 win for Dortmund <laughs> it was also my prediction I think we're copying of each other somehow so, um, but yeah 2-0 is also my prediction for this one um, obviously after that uh, Dortmund play against Freiburg so um, I, I really do hope that Dortmund uh, rotates in accordance because uh, that's going to be a very tough game. Freiburg, one of the informed teams right now in the Bundesliga. Um, but Matthias, since we have a sponsor for this episode and said sponsor wants to know uh, which centre-backs to target in the summer, uh, I'll I'll give you uh, the microphone since uh, I don't know heck about anything. So uh, may- maybe you do know more uh, since Dortmund do need to improve on that position probably most uh, drastically i would argue maybe even in january but you know i mean if we're if we're looking at the summer uh and obviously a lot of it'll come down to finances and the situation but if we we kind of caveat all that um i wouldn't mind tapsoba from leverkusen uh he's played exceptionally well um he played well against dortmund uh, um, you know, Upamecano sounds like he's going to go to Bayern. So, <laughs> you know, there, there's that. Um, but I, I'm a, I like Tapsoba. I mean, if put on the spot without any preparation, thank you, Stefan. Um, I would have, I, that, that, that'd be one that I'd really like. Um, I'm struggling to think of a lot of central defenders that are good. Just off the top of my head that Dortmund would be, in a position to sign. Um, but yeah, that's the first name that kind of jumps to my, the front of my mind. Fair enough. Uh, last, the vultures are obviously already circling around uh, uh, Marvin Friedrich from uh, Union Berlin. Uh, is that a viable shout in your view? If If not, who else? You will not believe it, Stefan, but once again, we are absolutely aligned because that was the name that I pulled out of my, you know what, <laughs> uh, now that that you, without any preparation, I can only echo what Matthias said, uh, bestowed this uh, transfer market question on us. Now, in all seriousness, I think that would be a, a decent, relatively low-cost signing. I think I, I personally am kind of over this signing like the next 18-year-old from France who's angling for a move the moment he sets foot on the windy Dortmund Brackel training grounds. Uh, I think it may, would make sense to get someone German also, or you know at least able to communicate properly, because uh, let's face it, Dortmund isn't the kind of club that gets people talking German if you look at a lot of players that have been here for a couple or three years or, or longer who still don't really speak German. And Edin Terzic is, I think, the only head coach in the Bundesliga who speaks more English during the game than German. At least that it feels like that. I'm not going year da at here at this moment here, but still. <laughs> uh, so Friedrich is a very good aerial presence. He, in my opinion, should be a contestant at least for a spot on the Germany Euro squad because he's playing a very strong season for Union Berlin, not only, but also scoring goals, which is always nice. Uh, I think he could be somewhat of a 
in pure footballing terms, spiritual successor to Nevin Zubotic in that, you know, he's he's a proper defender, if you like. Uh, not necessarily great in build-up situations, but you still got Mats Hummels, you got uh, Zagadou. Presumably you have someone in midfield who can progress the ball, so I think that would be a good pairing. The only issue uh, being that he has uh, ties to Schalke from his... Uh, upbringing i think he played for them at the youth level and might even have played a couple of games here and there for like at either the under 23s or even maybe the pros i don't i don't necessarily know but still that i think this is the kind of player that you can target even in corona times because he shouldn't be too high in the eight figures i think you can probably get him uh on a sensible deal and that is the kind of transfer that I would like to see from Dortmund because it's a 25-year-old player who whom you will get for the best part of his career and uh, there aren't many uh, for whom you can say that in terms of Dortmund. Yeah, I think Dortmund should sign Stefan Bell so I can say safe by the bell. So <laughs> I think that concludes our uh, who to sign, uh, which centre-back to sign in uh, the summer. I think we, we should... Uh, uh, go back to that because there are obviously a, a lot of moves, potential moves that Dortmund could should do. Um, Matthias, um, I think Michael Zorg left himself the possibility open that things do happen before the end of Monday, which is when the transfer window of this uh, January shuts. Um, any anyone who you see come in or more likely go out? Gee, Stefan, give us some time to prepare for this. <laughs> um, we, we we haven't even been here like for a whole week or so, so I you uh, had plenty of time. Yeah, right. Well, um, <laughs> thinking about it, uh, as I'm scrolling through Transfermarkt. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'll be honest. Um, this is much much more fun than having you prepare. Actually, this yeah. Is, yeah, no. Far kidding. more enjoyable. Yeah, watching, <sighs> hearing me squirm. I'll be honest. Yes. I I can't think of anybody. I mean, there are a few youngsters again that have been rumored. Um, you know, one of the weirdest ones on there is Locatelli from Sassuolo. That's just a that's just an odd one. You know, and again, young guys. Florian Neuhaus is thrown on there, but he'd be a lot of money. I just don't. I'll be honest, if Tsok pulls somebody out of the hat at this point, I have no idea who it would be um, and in what position he'd be bringing somebody in. I, you know, I, I would like it to be defensive oriented. I think that's an area where Dortmund are clearly lacking depth after injuries and so on. So um, maybe someone who can play, play either fullback role very well, not serviceably but actually very well that would be that'd be kind of nice um especially if you could then move a guerrero further up the pitch that would be very nice so but uh, looking at the list of people that are being rumored uh they're either not gonna happen uh just because of money or again like last said it's oh it's another 16 year old wonder kid you know it's like we're playing football manager and just gathering all the new gens and the yeah, that's not really going to help Dortmund now. Maybe help them in five, six years, but Dortmund needs help now. Uh, they need help for the next 18 to 24 months, not the next, you know, 48 to 72 months. Yeah, Lars, any uh, centre-backs you can think of that Dortmund can add to uh, uh, their squad now, considering they have two and a half available at the moment? Well, <clears throat> I'm, I'm still quite... Uh enchanted with my own idea of signing Nevin Zubotic, who's a free agent since last week, uh, to be somewhat of like a standby player, you know, be on the bench, but not really playing too much. No, it's, it's a great idea because uh, then we could get the old band back together. All we need is Weidenfeller to uh, uh, train some uh, bicycle kicks and then... <laughs> Yeah, I mean, uh, you laugh, but Zubotic played, I think, like tw 24 games for Union Berlin last season. So, I he mean, wasn't he's, too bad either. he's up there. He's, he's, he's definitely not as good as he was before his injuries at Dortmund. But, I mean, uh, you are looking at signing someone late in the winter window uh, with 
little to no money spent and obviously Zubotic would not only be presumably a dependable at least bench option but also he's uh, a swell guy and someone that I think Dortmund would do very well to incorporate in whatever capacity he likes basically uh, when his uh, playing career is finished so if he's like a social responsibility officer say, we however, do need a sporting director <laughs> Whatever, whatever fa fancy name you have for these roles in, you know, community engagement or whatever, I think that would be perfect for Subotic. And he's not that old; he can still do, you know, a backup job. So if you are looking to sign someone, I don't think they are. Uh, I think that would be a a logical version. Yeah, I mean, Dortmund would probably just uh, hit the button on their uh, position naming uh, creator and then you will have Nevin Zubotic be like vice president of uh, the uh, transition transition from amateur to professional player department or something like that um, but uh, yeah no I think it's a good shot actually so um, I, I I agree so um, yeah now I've I think we've we've talked enough uh Borussia Dortmund will be playing on uh, Saturday morning uh Eastern time so it's the uh, 3:30 kickoff in Germany against Augsburg so uh make sure to tune in uh for another dose of fun and sad pieces uh in the meantime Matthias uh how can people get in touch with you if they want more Rafael Guerrero rants it's not rants it's pointing out obvious errors <laughs> In a very vehement, loud in tone and using all caps. Um, yes. <laughs> if you want to call that a rant, if you want to put labels on things, Stefan, that's your problem. No, um, that's my job. That's not my problem. That's what I do here. <laughs> uh, you can find me on Twitter at Matiasuk. Very well. Lars? Yeah, you can still buy Lars Pullman stock on Robinhood <laughs> uh, and also find me... Find me on Twitter at Lars Polman. Well, uh, I would uh, actually appreciate some community engagement. Uh, so uh, if you want to comment uh, either on our YouTube channel or Twitter or Facebook, uh, which you can all find at Yellow Warpod, um, I would like to know from you people out there which no-no word Mahmoud Dahoud used <laughs> to to uh, get uh, on uh, Eden Tessic's bad side because uh, while it was reported that apparently he has used a bad word or insulted the coach or whatever, it was quite uh, conveyed what he'd say. So I think... Uh, we should interpolate that or extrapolate or whatever you want and uh, fill in the blanks. So uh, I, I really do want to know uh, from anyone uh, what Mahmoud Dahoud possibly could have said to upset Edin Tessic that he, uh, you know, he was uh, set out entirely. And with that, uh, I'll say this. Uh, as always, thank you for listening. You can find me at Stefan Butzko on Twitter. You can find all of us at Yellow Wallpot and you can obviously also shoot us an email at yellowwallpod at gmail.com if you want to contribute financially like Jordan Hunt you can go to patreon.com slash you can subscribe to us via iTunes, YouTube SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify etc and of course we shall be back hopefully next week after a win against Augsburg and uh, proceeding to the next round in the German Cup until then as always stay safe and goodbye